back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready, ready? Are you ready for... A place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Good afternoon, everyone. How's things going out there? This is Kipman Sports with M3 coming to you from the United School of Broadcasting in Cherry Hill, New Jersey for this Monday, the 17th day of January, Martin Luther King Day. Day to celebrate and honor a great man, a man who had a impact that With the start of the NFL postseason this uh, past uh, weekend and definitely got off to a very roaring, entertaining, wild start, the super wild card uh, weekend. Uh, Now, you, you did have a couple duds mixed in there. But, of course, where we have to start today is, you know, what I think is universally being celebrated amongst fans, amongst uh, fans across uh, the the NFL uh, world, across fans across the sports world, because, you know, there's always been this thought about, you know, fan ba- you know, certain fan bases that people can't stand more so than certain teams. I you you take uh you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs in uh, baseball. In basketball it's the Lakers and Celtics fans. In uh, the NHL I think it varies based on region, on who's the snobbiest fans, who's the most unbearable fans. But I think we can all agree, when it comes to the entire sports world as a whole, there is nothing worse than Dallas Cowboy fans. And I say this as someone who has a couple of friends that are Dallas Cowboy fans. And hell, may either be listening to this or watching this right now as we speak. Now, Dallas Cowboy fans, you didn't hear much from them last year when they went 6-10. and 10. But this year, they were very boisterous. You know, we got Dak back. Oh, we've got the defensive rookie of the year in Micah Parsons. Look at all of these uh, weapons. Even uh, uh, with uh, losing Michael Gallup, we turn to this kid, uh, Wilson, and he's uh, doing the job as our third receiver. 
Our defense is uh, been beasts at getting turnovers, given our offense a short field. Well, all of that came to a crashing thud yesterday afternoon. It in uh, Jerry's world in that. $10 billion uh, playpen uh, that he's built when they fell to the San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, I must admit, I was one of those that was duped by this Dallas Cowboy team. I thought that this was a, di a different Dallas Cowboys, even uh, with my mistrust for their head coach, thought that you know, it was a new time, a new place uh, for them, and that they were going to finally, you know, stand up, win a home playoff game, and be a legitimate threat. Excuse me. Damn, my voice just squeaked there. A legitimate threat uh, to reach the NFC Championship game and be a you know, pain in the ass to the Packers and the Bucks along the way. Well, now we are at 11 straight playoff appearances without reaching the NFC Championship game. 11. Since 1996, you realize that the last time they won a Super Bowl, teams like the Vikings, the Panthers, and the Atlanta Falcons have all been to the conference championship on Four separate occasions of a piece. And the Cowboys have not even gotten one crack at the an NFC championship. Haven't even sniffed it. And, you know, you can blame some of it on Jerry Jones. The fact that it seems like at times he cares more about the attention they get than actually putting a quality football product on the field. But this one has got to go on, you know, you, know, you give some blame to Mike McCarthy, uh, you know, when you have a team that commits 14 penalties in a, a game, clearly a sign of lack of discipline. But this one's on the players, you know, with some, some of the stupidity we saw yesterday. And, the Cowboys, you know, they can't keep thinking that they're, they've they got this lucky horseshoe up their rear ends that they can pull out and continuously come back from double-digit deficits. You know, it's, a, it's one thing to do it against, you know, a non-playoff team, but when you're doing it against a team like the 49ers who attacks your weaknesses, which is running right up the middle – and being able to uh, you know run with multiple running backs, including one in Debo Samuel, who's still technically listed as a wide receiver and has made one of the great in-season conversions we've ever seen uh, a position player make in the NFL. And you look at it, everything went wrong for the Dallas Cowboys for the first three quarters yesterday. Now, unable to contain uh, Debo Samuel right from the, the beginning. They got nothing from Zeke. He's a shell of himself. And 
Now, I know he's trying to make the excuse after the game that he's been playing with a torn PCL all, all season long. I mean, you know, why, why aren't we hearing this during the, the regular season? All of a sudden, oh, you have your worst moment of the year that ends your season, and now you're injured? Kind of convenient. CeeDee Lamb didn't touch the football until the fourth quarter, and when he did prior to that, uh, it kept getting called back for a penalty. And e even though the, the 49ers settled for some field goals early on, you know, they they were just, they were the more ready team yesterday. Kyle Shanahan had his team all geared, ready to go. And like I said last week, they stick to their game plan. They don't try and diverge away from it and try to be something that they're not. Now, every once in a while, that you know, Kyle Shanahan will try to you know, boost Jimmy Garoppolo's confidence, make him feel like he's actually part of the team and start having him chuck the football around uh, the yard. But for the most part, you no, know, it was about their ground game. It was about them dominating the line of scrimmage. I mean, before Nick Bosa went out with an injury, he was giving the business to Lyle Collins. You now, that, that defensive front, you know, they were pushing around uh, the... Uh, uh, the Cowboys offensive line and we're not letting uh, the, the likes of DeMarcus on the opposite side, we're not letting uh, uh, the, the likes of DeMarcus Lawrence or Micah Parsons have a big impact on this game. And the biggest impact that DeMarcus Lawrence had for the most part was continuously getting called for pre-snap penalties between him Randy Gregory um, and holding penalty late in this game. And the, the Cowboys were completely undisciplined. And the, the disturbing thing about this all is they almost pulled one right out of their rear end. They almost backed into an unbelievable um, victory here. Because, you know, even at... 23 to 7. You wouldn't say that's insurmountable heading into a, the final quarter of a game. But, you know, you, you're looking around uh, AT&T Stadium. You're seeing you know, fans crying. You're seeing Jerry Jones look uh, depressed. Dak's got that, you know, look in, in his eyes like, can't believe uh, this is happening. And they started to actually mount a comeback. Uh, but you no, know, as I as I talked about, you know, sometimes Kyle Shanahan can be his own worst enemy and decided to try and make Jimmy Garoppolo feel like he was actually part of the team by having him begin to chuck the football around in uh, the fourth quarter. And he he would get burned um when Anthony Brown picked him off at midfield. And that's a lot of the way that, you know, Dallas has to score. Because, you know, when you push them back um, toward their own end zone, more times than not, they're not going to drive uh, down the field. It's, you know, a lot of their scoring recently has been getting short fields, whether it be excellent special teams returns 
or uh, the the turnovers that they have been forcing. That's why there there was this little competition going on uh, for the second half of the season between the, the Cowboys offense and Co- Cowboys defense to see what there would be more of, more turnovers or more offensive touchdowns. But you now after Garoppolo you know, gets uh, the throws the interception, excuse me, the Cowboys march right down. Dak runs into the end zone, and you at a one-score game, there you're starting. If you're a 49er fan, you're starting to feel uncomfortable, especially you know the next drive. You now you you uh, get away from the ground game. George Kittle, who had been a non-factor throughout this game, looks like he fumbled the football, but it turned out to be the best incompletion of the season for uh, the 49ers because he the ball bounced off the ground before it got into his uh, fingertips. Initially, they thought it was a catch and a fumble to uh, Dallas, but the, you saw the ball clearly bounce, uh, allowing the Niners to continue on. But as it, you know, the, that fourth, as the game was going on, they're losing players on that defense. First, they lose Bosa. Then they lose uh, one of their team leaders in uh, Frank Warner. And you didn't get the same you know, spice, the same sizzle that you were getting out of that 49ers defense that you had been getting earlier in the game. But you know, Dallas kept being their own worst enemy. You know, after the Kittle uh, drop, you know, it's third and 12. You look like you're going to get the Niners off the field. Uh, Gallimore commits a hands to the face uh, penalty. Even though the Niners didn't score on that drive, continued to take some time off the clock, got it under three minutes. Then on the next drive, after uh, Wilson didn't catch what would have been an unbelievable throw uh, um, and catch uh, from Dak, Randy Gregory gets called for a holding penalty on second down after Dallas had already used one of uh, their timeouts. And it wasn't even like he was part of that play. Curse had made the stop on Samuel. There was no gain there. It was going to be third and nine. And Gregory's pulling his man to the ground. Now, the one thing that almost, besides Garoppolo's interception, almost worked against the Niners was the review on the the third and 10 with about a minute and five seconds to go in this game. Initially, they had ruled on the field that it was a first down. Dallas out of timeouts. It was just going to be a couple of knees taken uh, by the 49ers. I was very surprised that they overturned it because I didn't think that there was enough evidence to switch it. I Now, if they had said on the field that he was short, I don't think there was enough evidence to say it was a first down. I think looking at that, it seemed to me that the course of action to take there was to just stick with the call on the field, but it gave Dallas one more final chance, and they started to drive the ball down the field because the 49ers went into complete prevent mode and are allowing them the the sidelines. And you Now, Dax just hitting these out patterns um, toward the sidelines, taking chunks of uh, 10 to 15 yards on each play. I'm like, 
San Francisco, come on, bring some guys up here and uh, uh, put some actual pressure on them. And you know that they would get you know the, the biggest break in the world combined with the biggest bonehead moment of the Cowboys uh, season when on the final play, I I still to this moment, I know, you know, Mike McCarthy's come out, tried to back Dak in this play, show his quarterback support. I still personally believe that, that Dak called his own number on uh, this play um, and, you know, took off because I can't, for the life of me, believe that Kellen Moore or Mike McCarthy called on what turned out to be the final play of Dallas's season a QB draw and has Dak run up the uh, the gut. Now, it gained yardage, but the problem is he went too far because it continued to take time off the clock. You got the back ref coming, sprinting up, and he's got to uh, place the ball. You know, the center doesn't just get to decide where you're placing uh, the football because him and Dak were running in at the same time. They collided, did not allow Dallas to have uh, one last chance. And now another season ending in disappointment for the Dallas Cowboys and the, their fan base. And, you know, quite frankly... I have no sympathy because, yep, I mean, they can get lost. Now I don't have to deal with thinking about the nightmare scenario for the Super Bowl, which would have been for me. And a team from the AFC East going up against the Dallas Cowboys and the most obnoxious fan base in all of professional sports. All right, a lot left to get to uh, throughout this podcast. Give you some thoughts on the rest of Super Wild Card Weekend. A couple more uh, NFL coaching vacancies um, were made this past week. Um, mixing some NBA thoughts as well as a big change coming to Sunday Night Baseball this season. If we do have a baseball season um, to get to enjoy. So, Please sit back, relax, help put your feet up on the table. And if you have one in front of you, I continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 
1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to People in Sports with Matt McCray for this Monday afternoon. You all had a very happy, healthy, enjoyable uh, weekend, especially if you were a football fan, because this change to the way that the NFL playoffs are, it's a smorgasbord. You know, two games on Saturday. Three games on Sunday. Hell, the first round isn't even over because we have a game coming up tonight between the Rams and the Cardinals. And due to the events of this weekend, the winner of this game will move on to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next weekend. And, you know, there's a part of me that was kind of rooting for uh, the Eagles to at least be competitive due to the fact that my cousin-in-law, Eric, is a big-time Philadelphia Eagles fan, and he deserves some kind of happiness in his life. But um, uh, the Eagles, this would have had to have been everything going right with them. You know, they're a lot like the 49ers where they stick to a ground attack. And most of that is because, you know, unlike Jimmy Garoppolo, who, you know, is a very protective, safe uh, thrower of the football, Jalen Hurts, we know he's limited when it comes to his ability to throw the football. His best attribute is his ability to move around uh, and uh, gain gain yards on the ground uh, with his legs. But you knew that the Eagles were going to have to dominate time of the clock and um, get their ground game going. And if they couldn't do that, they were dead. They had no other answers for... You know, one of the best teams in the sport. And you now once the the Buccaneers were able to stop them from running, once they, you know, let it be known in the first quarter that, hey, you're not going to run on us today. It, it's going to be Jalen throwing the football that's going to get the job done. Eagles had no answers. I and mean, you're, you're looking at Brady and company march up and down the field, uh, putting up points. Meanwhile, the Eagles you know, can't get out of their own way. You know, plan one didn't work, and there is no plan two to that. Plus, they turned over the football three times, including two interceptions by Hertz that, you know, the first one, they're down 17 nothing. He's chucking the ball toward the end zone. Looks like he's got a man wide open, but Mike Edwards makes a great play and runs the football down right at uh, the pylon. And then the second one, you know, they're down by three scores. He's trying to, um, you know, just chuck it up there on, I believe it was fourth down. And uh, uh, Shaq Barrett, you know, tips the ball up to himself. You know, the the worst one of the three turnovers was the 
Jalen Rager uh, muffed a punt return because you know it's at seventeen nothing in the second half. It's still a reasonable football game. It's still, are you, you know, you're trying to keep uh, belief alive. You still got thirty minutes of football ahead of you. And once he muffed that, and the Buccaneers uh, charged him for a touchdown. It was uh, pretty much uh, game over. Now, the the one negative that comes out of this game, if you're a Bucks fan, is the health of your right tackle, Tristan Wirtz, who's no, who knows what his availability now is going to be for next weekend. When on the first drive of the game, he injures his ankle. Tried to walk it off, tried to, you know, continue, but you could see as the first quarter uh, went on that there was no way he could continue in the football game. Couldn't even stand up on his own power um, when he went back out there. And now, now that I know the now the fill-ins uh, did a, a, a solid job, but now you. No, each round you go, you step up in competition. Each round uh, you you go, it's the best of the best, and especially you now you if you're playing the Rams uh, uh, next week, or if uh, you're playing uh, the Cardinals and they get JJ Watt back, you're gonna have you no know, pass, you no know, top level pass rushers coming at you. Now, whether it be with the the Rams and Von Miller, Aaron Donald, uh, Floyd uh, coming at you, or with uh, the Cardinals and Jones and J.J. Uh, Watt, if he's a- able to play, you really can't afford to have a weakness on your offensive line, especially when your quarterback is 44 years old and a stationary target back there. Now, the, in uh, the other action of the weekend, the Bengals, congratulations. You finally ended the, I don't know whether you want to call it a streak or a curse. You know, a streak I more so attribute to something positive. Now, the, this was torment. The fact that you had lost eight consecutive uh, postseason games. The last time you won a playoff game, Boomer Esiason was your quarterback. Hell, the last time the Bengals won a playoff game, uh, text messaging had not truly happened yet. That That's how long we're talking. I, the last time the, the Bengals won a playoff game, I was four years old. So it has been a very long time coming for them. And now they have a quarterback in Joe Burrow that, unlike Andy Dalton, is uh, strong-minded, does does not get down on himself, even has a little bit of a, an air to him, a little bit of a, a cocky side uh, to him that, as we go on, may, may rub some people the wrong way. But when you're a franchise that is downtrodden like that, for so long, 
you need someone to come in with that kind of mindset that, hey, no, I don't care what happened in the past. I'm here now. We're going to uh, do big things kind of thing. And he's already living it up uh, uh, with a star-like life there being the hometown kid. And, you know, him and Jamar Chase got off to a fast start, uh, put the Raiders in a position where they were always having to climb out of a hole. It was, it, no, it was, they were very fortunate that this was a 20 to 13 game at halftime because they were getting uh, torn up uh, defensively. Now, now Burrow um, is got weapons all over the place. Meanwhile, uh, the, the, um, the Raiders weren't able to get consistent long drives together, had to keep settling for field goals. And, you know, you're not going to win in the postseason if you continue to have to settle for long field goals um, by Daniel Carson. I mean, they went one for five in the red zone. They had plenty of chances to get on the board. That's why I get it. The referees, Jerome Berger and his crew, did a horrible job on the call in the uh, second quarter. Now, the errant whistle that was blown would have probably still been a touchdown for Tyler Boyd in all likelihood, yes. Did the whistle getting blown as the ball was, what, four or five feet away from him, did that cause the defender to stop and look around and leave it, uh, Boyd as a wide open target? Maybe. But it was in the second quarter. It wasn't, no, this wasn't the last play of the game. This wasn't in overtime. You still had plenty of opportunities. Hell, you came right down um, at the field after that and scored your lone touchdown of the game and kept it to one score in the second half. I mean, you now Carr, he battled his ass off and put them in a position to win this game but threw a crucial pick on the final play that sealed their fate. And so ends what was the nine lives of a cat 2021-2022 season for the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that so many of us so many times we're willing to just write off, say, oh, they're done. It's over. No, whether it be the John Gruden scandal, whether it be uh, Henry Ruggs getting arrested and um, off the team, losing uh, their uh, first round uh, cornerback uh, to a DUI. Uh, this team overcame a lot this year. And Rich Pisaccia did a very good job of, you know, keeping everyone in check, keeping everyone in a positive uh, mindset. And now hopefully for his sake, he does get a real legitimate crack at being the permanent head coach of the uh, uh, Las Vegas uh, Raiders. Now, in the nightcap, it was kind of, you know, the get the alcohol ready game for me as I got to sit there and watch two division rivals 
play in a postseason game in the Bills and the Patriots. And if you had any, if there was still anyone out there that had any doubts about Josh Allen and his ability to perform in the big spot, yeah, I, I think you've lost that one. Now, I'll admit early in his career, I called him a left-handed Tim Tebow. But the last two years, he's exploded and turned himself into a superstar-level quarterback. And Saturday night was just, you know, an, an ass-kicking that anyone that hates the New England Patriots has long waited to see because it was very much a one-sided affair. I mean, you know, to go down and score touchdowns on all seven offensive drives of the game. And listen, I know in the records it it, it says that they had eight offensive uh, drives. Please, we're not going to count the kneel downs at the end of the game. Allen, you know, was just, it, it was scary good how some of these throws he's making, especially that first touchdown pass to, to Dawson Knox where He's running toward the boundary, looking to just, and admitted this after the game, he's looking to just throw the football away, and it manages to stay within a catchable range for Dawson Knox to jump up and and tiptoe the back end of the end zone for the first score of the game. Between that, the fact that the Bills were, have, the last several weeks been able to get their ground game going with not just uh you know Josh Allen uh running around but you know the combination of Devin Singletary out of the backfield mixing in a little bit of this uh this young guy Isaiah McKenzie now the the Bills are a dual threat um, team offensively now that you know that they have many ways to beat you we knew they were you know, had a scary good um, aerial attack, but now if they're going to beat you on the ground, they're going to be damn near impossible to beat, especially with the way that that defense uh, played, you know, giving Mac Jones and company all he could handle throughout the night. And it was not a, not really a great way for Mac Jones to end what was a very solid rookie season. I mean, he, you know, the tone was set on the Patriots' first drive of the game because they came, they marched right down the field after uh, the Bills scored. Looked like they were going to match them or at least get a field goal out of it. And Mac Jones throws an interception in the end zone that the Patriots never really were able to recover from. Hell, you look at, you know, the Patriots. It felt like. I know the the weather conditions were awful. It was eight degrees at game time. Uh, felt in the negatives, and um, the the wind was just making things worse. But it looked like the Patriots were running through quicksand. Whereas you got the Bucks on, I mean the Bills, excuse me, on the other side, who looked like they're playing the game in the middle of Florida. The Patriots looked like they were playing the game in Siberia between. You know, their defense looking very old and slow. And outside of Kendrick Bourne, no one showing any burst offensively. 
It was just a miserable night for Bill Belichick, Mac Jones, and, and company. A night that, you know, for the Bills and uh, Bills Mafia, I don't think you could even replicate it on Madden the video game. And for the Patriot haters, non-Patriot fans out there, something we've been uh, waiting for for a long damn time. And last night, now last night, it, it was a matter of time until this happened, but last night would turn out to be the last night of uh, Ben Roethlisberger's career as the Steelers fell to the Chiefs at Arrowhead. And, you know, early on, that you, know, you were fooled into thinking, maybe, maybe there was a shot here. Uh, when it was scoreless in the first quarter, you... You get a big turnover, and T.J. Watt runs back um, uh, for a fumble recovery touchdown uh, to give the Steelers an early lead. But you know, offensively, they never got anything going. You knew, you knew, in order for the Steelers to win this game, they were not only going to have to have a a great game out of Najee Harris and dominate the the time of the clock, but they were going to have to just flat out shut down the Kansas City Chiefs. They were they were going to have to do the impossible and win like a a 21 to 17 type game uh against the Chiefs and please the Chiefs are more than capable of scoring 17 in every quarter um that they take seriously. But the game changed with you no know, just a few minutes to go in the uh, first half when uh, they, uh, the Chiefs marched down uh, 90 yards in 38 seconds, including a 48-yard touchdown by uh, Travis Kelsey that put them up by two scores heading into halftime that you figured this is going to get even uglier as it goes on because the Chiefs had the ball start the second half. And they're doing crazy things like underhanded throws right up the gut to running backs. Uh, Mahomes is throwing uh, to offensive linemen for big boy touchdowns. Hell, they even let Travis Kelsey line up back there for a wildcat-like uh, uh, touchdown pass and you know, had Mahomes break a record that I didn't even know was kept track of. The, the fastest game time to throwing five touchdowns in a game through five touchdowns in what was a mere 11 and a half minutes of game time. And they went six consecutive drives with scoring a touchdown and the Steelers just had no answers. And so ended uh, the hall of fame career of Ben Roethlisberger that now listen, there are the, the negatives you, you have to talk about the, the, uh, the sexual assault or sexual harassment uh, allegations against him from over a decade ago that he served a six-game suspension for, I believe, in 2009. Now, he wasn't great in the first Super Bowl that he won uh, with uh, the Steelers. It was more about the ground game and defense in that one against Seattle and horrible officiating. But the guy had an 
unbelievable career. Two-time Super Bowl champion, a six-time Pro Bowler, uh, finished with the third most uh, fourth-quarter comeback victories behind only Peyton Manning and uh, um, Tom Brady, fifth-most wins as a starting quarterback. He's going to go to uh, the Hall of Fame um, in about five years. And I know it's heartbreaking for Steeler fans. I I haven't heard from my sister on how her boyfriend Ryan is dealing with this. But no, I heard this saying once and it rings true, especially if you have a great franchise quarterback, you know, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. Because you know, there are a lot of teams out there that wish, wish they could have a quarterback give them the kind of career that Ben Roethlisberger did. All right, going to take another break here. Come back on the other side and turn my attention to the NBA. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, there was a winning streak in the NBA that came to an end uh, the other day. That the run that they're on is a quiet run by any means because they're currently sitting at fourth place in the Western Conference. But the Memphis Grizzlies just ended a 11-game winning streak with their loss to the Mavs on Friday. That early on, you thought maybe it was going to be a 12-game winning streak, but playing eight games in a 12-day span finally caught up to them. And you you look at it, a lot of times you want to dissect a winning streak, see who they beat. Well, they went to Brooklyn and beat the Nets. They've been in the Warriors, went to Cleveland and beat the Cavs, and that's actually a good victory because the Cavaliers have been arguably the biggest surprise in the sport so far uh, this year, sitting at 26-18, and 6th in the East. And uh, the Lakers twice. And during this streak, you had uh, at least five games of over 30 points uh, um, by Ja Morant, if he's not in the NBA All-Star uh, lineup, 
I don't know what we're uh, doing here. I mean, you know, clearly deserves a a starting guard nod in uh, the All Star game alongside Steph Curry, considering that you know it's not position based when it comes to guards. Best two guards, and uh, you know they're doing this without the second leading scorer. Dylan Brooks has missed a lot of time in the last month. First, he misses the. Uh, uh, first seven games of this streak due to COVID, comes back, plays two games, and then sprains his left ankle, is now going to be out for probably a month. So, no, it's remarkable what they're doing. Got themselves to 30-15, and 15, the best 45-game start in uh, Grizzlies history. And now you look at uh, Memphis and uh, the, can they, you know, it's a, a matter of how they bounce back from this, how they you know, rebound from uh, the, the um, I don't know if you want to call it demoralizing or the high of their winning streak ending. Because you know, they have a tough week coming up here. They play the Bulls this afternoon. Uh, then uh, they go to Milwaukee on Wednesday, got the... Uh, Nuggets on Friday in Denver and follow that up uh, with uh, the Mavs on uh, Sunday. Four teams that you all you expect them uh, all to be in the postseason. See how this uh, mostly young Memphis Grizzly team can pick themselves up after what was a fun little ride there for a bit. Now I mentioned twice over that winning streak. They beat the Los Angeles Lakers, and I don't know how much of a really impressive win it is to uh, beat the Lakers right now when you, you consider the fact that the Lakers, every time you think you got them figured out, they seem to change up the storyline, seem to change up the narrative. I mean, about 10 days ago, you thought that, oh, here we go, the Lakers are going to get going on a, the midst of a four-game losing streak. I four game winning streak, excuse me. And then they've gone out and lost three in a row, including losing last Wednesday night uh, in Sacramento to the Kings. And then not even showing up on Saturday um, in Denver against the uh, Nuggets. And it, it was you know, a wall to wall beatdown, especially uh, with them. Uh, getting run out of the gym in the fourth quarter. And th this Laker team, you know, the big concern with the two big concerns with them coming into the year were the age and how Russell Westbrook was going to mix in with this team. And so far, both of those have been on the negative side of things. You, you have not gotten... Outside of LeBron, you know he's going to do his thing. You've not gotten real consistent performance out of anybody. No, Westbrook does not fit when he does not have the ball in his hands. He's essentially a non-factor. Uh, they've been without AD for a little bit um, now due to injury. That was another concern you had with this team. And believe it or not, as far as the rotation is concerned, He's the youngest player on on that group, 
and he's the one you have the biggest injury concern with. And now, now, now it's gotten so bad, you've got Magic coming out with comments uh, on Twitter the other night. He writes, quote, after being blown out by the Nuggets, we as Laker fans can accept being outplayed, but we deserve more than a lack of effort and no sense of urgency. Owner Jeannie Buss, you deserve better. Hell, LeBron's even coming out with apologies now, saying, Laker Nation, I apologize. I promise we'll be better. No, it's funny. No, I'm not a LeBron James hater. I never have been. I'm I'm not going to pull a Skip Bayless on you all and act like he's not one of the all-time greats. But it's funny how LeBron now has to uh, backtrack the comments that he made just this past summer. Remember, it, he was all you know, gung-ho saying, oh, keep di- keep doubting us. Keep uh, uh, bringing up our age. I want that same energy brought in the, the middle of this season. Well, we're still waiting for the, your teammates to show that same energy. You know, that, that energy that had you calling them or saying that they reminded you of Tom Brady's 2020 Tampa Bay Bucks. No, Tom Brady's 2020 Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, they needed all they needed was a quarterback, and they were a Super Bowl contender because they had star players there. But those star players were all in their prime. Most of the guys that you've brought in here, LeBron are all in the back half of their career with the exception of AD. So, you know, what you were ripping us all for being uh, highly critical of has come back to backfire on you big time. Knicks made a trade last week, uh, acquiring Cam Reddish from the Hawks in a multiplayer trade that also brought them Solomon Hill, uh, sent uh, Kevin Knox uh, to the Hawks along with some draft picks uh, changing hands. You know, in the case of Knox, he never he never got going here, never um, was able to establish himself, had kind of uh, got, got his way into the doghouse uh, in this organization with the fact that he was not as... Uh, go to score as they had hoped uh, he would be coming out of Kentucky. And now he was not much of a defensive uh, player here. And now, you know, with Tom Thibodeau as your coach, you better damn well play some defense or you're not going to see court time. That's why, you know, it's interesting here because Cam Reddish, well, he's not a great shooter. You've seen his, his points per game slightly uptick in each of the first uh, three years of his career. No, is not a a defensive-minded player. It's at times can be a liability. Now, is, is it capable of improving? Sure, he's still within uh, the first three years of his career. He's only, what, like 22 years old? Hell, he was teammates with R.J. Barrett um, at Duke, and they came out together in the uh, same draft class. Now, it's going to be a little bit before we see him play because he's out with an ankle injury. But 
I'm very intrigued to see how he fits in uh, the mix of this team and uh, whether, you know, Tom Thibodeau is, you know, going to keep him in the doghouse like he did Knox for his defensive uh, limitations, even if he uh, can be uh, another scorer off the bench for this team. And the Knicks, you know, they've gotten themselves to a spot where they're back in the play-in scenario. They're 10th in the East after winning uh, three in a row. Let's see how they uh, uh, do this afternoon against uh, the uh, Hornets. Now, Saturday night, as I'm watching uh, Bill's Patriots, it was a very much nail-biting, cringeworthy, panic night for yours truly because as I've said um, many times before, I am a Brooklyn Nets fan and the Nets were dealt to a I think it's more than an injury scare. It's you know a blow to this team when you lose your best player, the face of the franchise arguably the first or second best player in the sport in Kevin Durant on what was a very unfortunate, uh, um, unlucky spot for them when in the second quarter, Bruce Brown gets uh, knocked backwards into KD and uh, falls into his left knee, causing him to uh, somewhat hobble off the court. And now he's going to miss four to six weeks uh, due to a... uh, a left knee sprain of the MCL. Four to six weeks is what they're saying it's going to be, but I would expect it to be the latter of that time. You know, this is a team that's already without Joe Harris. He's been out since the end of November, and there's been no updates on that. He had ankle surgery, and he isn't even ready to start participating in workouts yet. No idea what's going on there. You're without Nick Claxton uh, due to hamstring issue. Uh, Marcus Aldridge is dealing with a right foot problem. Of course, no, you don't have Kyrie because he can't play home games. But no, he'll be back out there later this afternoon for them as uh, they go on the road. Uh, now, this is going to be a, a spot here where you're really testing the durability of James Harden because it's not like now he's never been one of those maintenance guys anyway he likes to play but there's only so far you can push him without the threat of his uh legs uh blowing up like it, it did last year now the good thing here now I have set a target date for Kevin Durant's return March 18th, because March 18th, they're playing the Trailblazers. And for Christmas, I received tickets to go to the Barclays Center to see that game. So between now and March 18th, they have 28 games. 18 of those games are on the road. So that means we get Kyrie Irving. Personally, I'm hoping over the course of those 28 games, 18 on the road, one of two things happens. Either, actually, one of three things happens here. Either the Nets could willingly pay fines 
for every home game Kyrie plays unvaccinated. And, and it would go up as far as five grand per game. Now, who am I to count anybody's money? But I think Josiah has enough money to fill the bill on that, as annoying as it would be. Two, New York City um, Mayor Eric Adams, you know, eases the restrictions as far as unvaccinated players because as, as much as I would like to see everybody get vaccinated, the the thing that's never made sense to me is how Kyrie can't play games in Brooklyn because he's unvaccinated, but teams, road teams can come in with an unvaccinated player and that guy can play. Uh, I That to me really does not make sense. Or there's option three, and Kyrie has a coming to Jesus moment and just decides, you know what, for my buddy, I'm going to go get vaccinated and uh, play in uh, Nets home games. Do I expect any of the three of those things to happen? Absolutely not. But for the best of the Brooklyn Nets, I remain hopeful. And hopefully this is on the short term of things as far as KD's return. Going to take one last break, come back, close things up for Keeping It Sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Okay, only a couple more minutes left here, but a few more things to discuss for this week on Keeping It Sports with M3. An interesting change is coming to Sunday Night Baseball. A, A change that... I've long speculated that a, you're going you know, to the media have has changed a lot a since we opened our doors in 1964. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. 
going to get everybody training to in radio, enjoy TV, every and new media. Thing get trained. Get connected. But uh, TV the radio. change that's coming to Sunday Night Baseball, it's something that I suggested uh, a couple months ago. Um, and uh, I'm surprised that ESPN hadn't thought of doing something like this prior to um, this coming season. And that's, there will be a alternative broadcast um, on ESPN2 for Sunday Night Baseball, much like the Manning broadcast with Peyton and Eli Manning during Monday Night Football uh, this past year. Now you're going to have an alternative broadcast that will pair up Alex Rodriguez and the longtime play-by-play um, announcer on the television side for the New York Yankees, Michael Kay. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. I'm not sure if this is the official name of it, but the, um, some people hey, have been referring up, to it as K-Rod. Uh, I'm sure Francisco Rodriguez right now is lawyers to see if he has any legal um, ties to that name. I'll be back. But it's going to air on ESPN2. We'll integrate things such as fantasy baseball, analytics, and have special guests on, much like you know, much like the Mannings were doing uh, during their broadcast. You know, talk about the game, but you know, also have conversation going on. And it, it won't be everything. It's going to be, um, but right now they're saying it's about 10 to 12 uh, Sunday night games. I think some of that is going to be due to the availability of Michael Kay. Because he's not going to give up any of his Yankee schedule. He's going to still do be anywhere from you know, 95 to 110 games he does every single season. So you're not going to have him going from doing a Yankees road game to doing Sunday night baseball. Uh, he's going to do one or the other on a given Sunday. But he's no, not going to give up just uh, working on uh, Sundays. He, so it's not going to be each and every week as I'm saying, but will be enough that you know it exists. And for baseball, you know, they, they did something like this on the MLB Network last year that I thought was kind of cool. CC Sabathia uh, would sit back with a bunch of uh, old buddies of um, his uh, you know, guys that uh, uh, played the sport, uh, such as uh, uh, Jason Kendall, who Harold Reynolds of the MLB Network uh, was part of this, and, as well as you know, it was always rotating. But you know, they do a game on Tuesday nights in a studio somewhere, just kind of sit around, talk about the game, shoot shoot the breeze on things uh, going on in the sport right now and adds a, a little something you know football did not need to do this but baseball with the fact that it's fallen to third in popularity doing something a little different doing something a little unique can get the fans uh, invested get them interested in, in uh, that and I know it's been brought up that A-Rod has been kind of stiff calling the uh, the games when he was still doing a Matt Fast version um, for Sunday Night Baseball um, would be a little too technical at times, wouldn't let loose, wouldn't show some personality, but I do think this 
you'll, you'll get to see, you know, a funner side of the A-Rod. Um, I'm sure Kay will do um, some things to try and pull that uh, out of him. And it's going to be something that I'm definitely going to be invested in um, seeing 10 to 12 times this coming season. Hopefully we have a season. I mean, last Thursday there was a presentation by MLB um, to the Players Union when it came to the financial side of things. And kind of a lukewarm reaction from the Players Union. But hey, at least they are not putting out press releases talking crap about each other each and every single day. So hopefully something gets done before the start of spring training. There were two more head coaching openings uh, in the NFL this week, and both of them should have been expected. First, no, the Houston Texans never should have fought, should have hired David Culley. Now, we all knew that from the beginning. It's like, what are you doing? This guy is, not to be ageism, but he's 66 years old, had never even been a coordinator, and you're naming him your head coach. They essentially brought him in to be the babysitter for a year a year that they knew was going to be disastrous without Deshaun Watson, with star players uh, such as J.J. Watt leaving there, and due to the fact that you know they were the, going to be at best the third best team in their division, so they decided, you know what, let's hang this bad year on someone we could just throw away after this year and to make it up to him, we'll give him a contract where he's going to be making $22 million after getting fired. So it's not like, you know, David Coley's going to be in a soup kitchen anywhere sometime soon. He's still got a good chunk of change coming his way. But what's interesting here is that they, by many people out there, have been looked at now as the favorites to hire former Miami Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores. And Brian Flores has, whether it's publicly or through uh, his people, is letting it be known he would like to pair up with Deshaun Watson. Whether it's, you know, he want no, that was one of the, the things as we're coming to find out that led to him uh, getting the axe in Miami. He was pushing hard for them to trade for Deshaun Watson and the owner, Stephen Ross, amongst many other people in that uh, hierarchy there, don't want any part of Deshaun Watson, especially with what he's uh, you know, going through uh, right now. And you know, there's been rumblings about them possibly wanting to come to the Giants together. Maybe there can be some kind of mending offenses where Flores gets his wish, goes to uh, Houston, and next year after whatever length of suspension he's going to serve, Deshaun Watson is his quarterback. Now, the, the thing is, there's going to really need to be some mending offenses because as far as I know, the guy that... Deshaun really can't stand and that rubs everybody in the building the wrong way. Jack Easterby is still there. So something has got to be worked out there. But it does sound like right now uh, the favorite in the clubhouse to be the next Texans head coach is Brian Flores, who, like I told you last week, he'd be out of a job um, 
for only a few weeks, he's going to get one of these head coaching openings. And, you know, if they were smart, although they can't get to Sean Watson because they're uh, in salary cap hell, one of those teams that should be heavily looking at Brian Flores is the New York Giants, who finally, last uh, Wednesday, made the decision that they needed to make, and that was the firing of Joe Judge, who, quite frankly, you know, you could make the argument of all the bad coaches that the Giants have had in recent years, you know, uh, all the guy, all the clown shows that have been there since uh, they let Tom Coughlin walk out the door. This is by far the worst of them all. Joe Judge was ten and twenty three in two seasons as Giants head coach. They never scored thirty points a game. Their high was twenty seven points a game, which they only did twice. He, they've won only. Two games by double figures, lost 15 by double figures. And quite frankly, he was an ass to deal with uh, with the media. I mean, I, I don't know what more you could uh, you know, ask for in getting a head coach fired. But Joe Judge did that. And it sounds like you know, John Merrill was going to keep him, was going to just act like this is, uh, you know, just a bad year and continue on with him after general manager Dave Gettleman retired. But once Steve Tisch stepped in, it, it became you know almost no other choice that they had to fire uh, Joe Judge. Tisch wasn't going to stand for this guy's nonsense anymore. Now the I think what did him in was uh, the eleven minute soliloquy he did post game two weeks ago where he's talking about this isn't a clown show you know if you have to go out of your way and say it's not a clown show in all likelihood it's a clown show and you know then you see this crap that went on this past week where he throws a going away party at his house and many players including uh daniel jones were there uh Freddie Kitchens supposedly was the life of the party at this thing. No, I guess you know Joe Judge now can try and go crawling back to uh, Bill Belichick, but no, if he's ever going to be a head coach again, he's got to get his head out of his rear end. See, the biggest problem that these guys all face coming out of New England, you know, with the exception of. Uh, Brian Flores, because I don't, I don't think he went on any like real, you know, hard ass uh, tirades in post game media press conferences. All of these guys tried to act too much like Bill Belichick instead of being themselves. I mean, think back to his opening. The first four months he was here, he didn't even say Daniel Jones's name once. And you know, now you look at it, you know. Where did the Giants go from here? At least, you know, what you're hearing is that they're going outside the organization when it comes to the GM search and going to let the GM pick the head coach. But what we've seen from the Giants the last, you know, five, six years, it's rock bottom. 
This is the absolute worst it's been uh, over my lifetime. That's why if you're a Giant fan, you got to hope you hit home runs on all of these draft picks you have coming up uh, in this draft. You can't get out of your mind this idea of, oh, let's trade for Russell Wilson or trade for Deshaun Watson. No, you're in salary cap hell. Whether you like it or not, you're going to deal with one more year of Daniel Jones as your starting quarterback. And it's just a matter of if you can put the right things around him to try to get the best out of Daniel Jones once and for all. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports 1F3 for Monday, January 17th, 2022. Please, everyone, have a great night. Stay safe. Stay healthy, hopefully, in whatever you're uh, doing. Have a great week. And I'll talk to you all again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.